Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome to The Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I want to give a shout out to Anna and Benjamin for donating to the Spiritual Forum podcast, Prayer and Retreat Ministry. This is a 100% donation podcast, and I so appreciate anyone who contributes. And I really appreciate hearing from you if you benefit from what happens on this channel, on this podcast, that you let me know. And I'm at RevCarolSaunders at gmail.com. Also, you may have noticed that I have migrated from SoundCloud to Podbean. So if you're still over there on SoundCloud, there's a few of you over there, come on over to Podbean or on any podcast app. And also I am on YouTube and I'm doing more activity there. So I'd appreciate if you'd come over there and subscribe and just check out what's over there. And I think that's all I have for my run-up today. Let me introduce you to my guest, Timber Hawkeye. He's a best-selling author of Buddhist Boot Camp, Faithfully Religionless, and The Opposite of Namaste. His books and podcasts offer a secular and non-sectarian mindfulness practice to be at peace in the world. And I'm going to keep the bio to that and let Timber tell the rest of his story or whatever he wants to tell us. Welcome, Timber. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's really, really great to have you, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. There's so much wisdom in your books, and I'm so grateful that you sent me the book, The Opposite of Namaste. And actually, before I ask you to tell me a little bit about your story, can you describe to everybody what the opposite of namaste means to you? (laughs) Yeah, uh, namaste is typically defined and used. It's a greeting, but uh, much like shalom and aloha, it actually has a deeper meaning behind it. And so while it can be used colloquially just to say hello, it also means the divinity or the God within me, the good within me acknowledges the divinity within you. And we're all very familiar with that. And it's really easy when you're standing in front of someone who is kind and loving and gentle and generous to say, oh, namaste, you know, I see the God in you. It's so easy to do that. But what happens when you're standing in front of someone who is rude, someone who's being a complete jerk, you know, and, and impatient and intolerant? And it becomes really difficult to go, oh, namaste, jerk, you know, <laughs> it's just and yet I've been a jerk before. I've been impatient before. I've been intolerant. I've been ignorant. And so I think the opposite of namaste is essential not to actually say out loud, but an internal process that when we when we come across someone difficult, I can say, oh, you know, the ego in me sees the ego in you. I know exactly why you do what you do, because there's an ego within me as well. And it eliminates this whole hierarchy and it just puts us all at eye level. And I think that's where we can relate to one another because we are related. And so that's kind of the opposite. Like, it's not just the good, it's the good, the bad, and everything in between. It's in all of us, but it takes first and foremost acknowledging the shadow self within us before we can accept, not necessarily condone or glorify the shadow in others, but see, it's like, oh yeah, I get that. I, I've, I've acted out of greed before, you know? And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know why they're doing what they're doing. It's just, the goal is to eliminate judgment. The Dalai Lama was asked, even though 
for thousands of years and poets and singers and songwriters have all tried to define love, you know, and I think the Dalai Lama nailed it. And he said, love is the absence of judgment. It's that simple. When, when you think what's standing between me and being able to love the person in front of me, it's judgment. What, what's standing between you and being able to love yourself, it's judgment. And when you remove judgment, all that's left is love. So that's the idea between namaste and the opposite of namaste. It's just seeing I, us and everyone in us, and there's just no judgment, just understanding. And I just, I love that. I think we need, we need more of that, just acknowledging the ego within us and others. It's a very long answer to your question, but that kind of is, even in the first book of the, the Buddhist boot camp, part of me is in the dark and part of me is in the light. And the idea is to just make peace with both of them, not try to destroy one. It's just make peace. They're both there. And, and right. they can get along yeah. just fine. Yeah, I, I really appreciate expanding you expanding on that. I, we talk about the shadow a lot on this podcast, but this idea of how when, when something is beautiful and wonderful and we're at a retreat and everybody loves each other, <laughs> we do this beholding, beholding the Christ, beholding the beauty, beholding the everything in each other. But then we go out <laughs> in our lives and then we're faced with a mirror. We're faced with a, a person out there who's showing us who we are. So yeah. I really, I really, really love that. And I do appreciate your book. I'll, I am going to get your story in a second, but I just want to do a little shout out to your book because it's short chapters, very succinct. It's one of those books where you can just pick it up, open it up to whatever chapter is there and, and read it and see so much beauty in it. You can read it forward to back, back to front. It's just one of these books that's just full of amazing, very practical pieces of wisdom that I think can impact your life every single day. So I really, really appreciate your book and thank you for sending thank it you. to me. Thank you. Yeah, that's that was the idea that you can open the book and read the chapters in any order. And if it resonates, great. If not, just move on to the next one. It's it's just my, my intention is to not do the thinking for you. It's to plant the seed and just kind of walk away and just like, let, let you unpack that, <laughs> you know, yeah. and when you're ready, you will. It's the same format as Buddhist boot camp from 10 years prior. And I got such positive feedback on that. You know, just a short attention span, just one chapter a day. And yeah, it's a thank you. That that was the idea. So I'm glad it was received in the same spirit it was intended. Yeah. And the chapters are like two pages. It's very short, but just like, wow. You know, I mean, I have to take my marker at it. It's like there's I highlight this. I highlight that. And so I love it. I really appreciate your wisdom. And thank you for sharing it with the world. Now, can you share your story? Because I think it's so interesting. Thank you. Yeah, the wisdom isn't mine. The wisdom is ancient. I'm just merely a translator who takes the ancient teachings and translates it into a language that people today can understand. And not, I guess, go beyond understanding and actually implement into daily life. Because it, it's, if I... If I'm merely inspirational, then I'm, I've fallen short of my intention of being motivational. It's about taking these concepts and actually implementing them and having them change your life. And instead of saying, well, that's really good in theory. And a couple of weeks later, it's you know, just like you said, people are really kind to one another in, in the seminar at the retreat. And then the moment they get into their car, it's, it's just like, no, like, how do we embody the teachings, not just, you know, appreciate them? So... That does kind of tie into my story because I didn't reach out to Buddhism because I was curious about it. I have developed my own uh, collection of beliefs and philosophies. And one day someone walked up to me and they're like, 
you're like a Buddhist monk. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and we looked it up and I'm like, you're not kidding. <laughs> My life is very much, you know, so it was kind of like I was already living that lifestyle when I discovered I'm not alone. In fact, I was invited to hear the Dalai Lama speak one of the first times I've heard him speak. And there he was talking about self-control, determination and freedom from anger. And three years prior to that, I had those words tattooed on my chest. And I'm sitting there going, who's this guy? Like, that's my gig. You know, I was just so ignorant that like there's this whole movement of people who dive deep into looking at where am I creating my own anguish? So that kind of is where the spiritual journey, I guess, began perhaps officially. You know, even though, again, I've been on it for a while, I just didn't have a word for it. It it, it, it was timberism at the time. You know, it was just my own way of being different from others but i didn't know um just how and it started you know like many of us very much following the recipe that was handed to us either as children adolescents or adults like here this is the life you're supposed to lead you know go to school go to college get a job make money buy the house get the sports car get the white picket fence get the and i did all of that and one day i looked around going this is someone's dream but it isn't mine you know, it, this is, in fact, the day was, I was a paralegal for 10 years working at a law firm. And one day, one of the other paralegals at the law firm was celebrating her 30 year anniversary at the firm. And it had been 10 years for me. And the, the fact that she celebrated 30 years in that cubicle just terrified me. I mean, I'm good, have good for her. You know, I'm not, didn't make a judgment, but it was just I got a glimpse of this is going to be my life if I don't get out now. So that was kind of the, not, not the first, but one of many moments when like five years prior to that, I had moved from the Bay Area to Seattle and I took a 50% pay cut, but I was twice as happy. So that was kind of the first light bulb, like how happy I am has nothing to do with how much money I was making. But I still, you know, was in the corporate world. And then on that day, I walked into my boss's office and he just knew. He looked at me. He's like, you're leaving, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, I, I can't just, I can't do this. And he's like, I totally get it. You know, he's like, if I didn't have family and all that, like for me, it was to sell everything and move to Hawaii. For him, it would have been Montana and the mountains, you know, but we all have our Hawaii. So my intention isn't to get everyone to sell their belongings and move to an island. That's far from it, but it's to not necessarily pursue what you love or anything try to figure out but figure out what you don't want i think knowing what you don't want is an equally helpful navigation tool because the law firm was like how do we get you to stay we'll double your income we'll you know we'll we'll have you work for just i was like you don't you don't understand i don't want to work under fluorescent lights anymore like th there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do to offer me to make this my dream so i did i sold everything the sports car, the designer clothes, the designer furniture, the, everything that I thought mattered. And I moved to Hawaii and Hawaii made sense to me because I was a volleyball player and the level of play there is a lot higher and I could move from playing indoors to playing beach doubles. And so Hawaii made sense to me at the time. The weather was perfect all year round. It just, I didn't need a car over there and I really wanted to live a minimal lifestyle before there was even a word for it. So that was my big transition that opened a lot of time in my schedule because I got a job there working two hours a day and I had all this free time to finally do what my passion has always been, which is to 
study what people believe and why we believe what we do. Not just religion, but your prejudices. Where did you pick them up? But more importantly, why are you still carrying them? And so it became this really juicy research of the human behavior that I had all this time to study. And one thing led to another. My friend mentioned the Buddhist monk. The Dalai Lama came to Maui. And I was like, oh, let's let's look into this. And And I found some teachers on the big island who pointed me in the direction of a Tibetan Lama on Oahu. And I started studying with him. And it was really beautiful because even though when I got to the Tibetan temple at first, there was a lot of pressure from everyone, like, take refuge with us, be one of us, become. And I was like, whoa, 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 easy, tiger. <laughs> I am coming off of the organized religion train and I'm trying to find my way. The last thing I need is to just be pulled onto another one. So I studied with the Lama one-on-one. -on -one, and it was in one of those sessions that I told him, I said, listen, what drew me to Buddhism wasn't this artistic, beautiful, colorful depictions of the Dharma and all the posters of, you know, gods with multiple arms and tongues. And like, I, I get it, but that's not what drew me in. And the chanting and that, that's not my thing. I love the simplicity of the teachings of, of pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. You can figure out how you cause your own suffering. And by just eliminating that, you have found happiness, not by searching happiness, but by taking away that which makes you miserable. I love that. And luckily, I'm so grateful for him until this day that he didn't try to get me to join his temple. He looked at me and he said, you might like Zen better than this. Zen Buddhism is simple, it's cleaner, and, and in true timber fashion, I didn't just pick up a book on Zen. I moved into a Zen monastery because <laughs> that's just how I do things. I jump into the deep end. And I did love it. He was right. It was simpler. There was no, I mean, the walls were blank. And I, I appreciated it. I didn't like the hierarchy within, which I think you encounter everywhere you go, but I did appreciate the simplicity of it. And this whole time, I guess this ties back in and I can wrap it up. When I left the corporate world, when I moved to Hawaii and completely changed my life, you can imagine my friends, my family, they're all worried. Like, how do you go from working at this prestigious law firm and 10 years in law and making so much money in the sports car and the, the, the condo downtown? How do you, where are you going to live? And I was like, I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. I just know I don't want to do this. So they all freaked out. And I said, don't worry. I'll send you a letter every month to let you know what's going on with me. And after eight years of, you know, moving into one monastery and into another and going into another temple. And one of my friends said, you know, those letters that you sent been sending us for eight years. I th I've appreciated them so much. I was forwarding them to my friends and they would forward it to their friends. I'm like, and I first was very taken aback going, you're sending my personal letters to people I don't know. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And they really appreciate that. They're so short, but they're so full of wisdom. And, and I, I really think you should like put them on a blog or something or social media. And I didn't have any social media, no Facebook, nothing at the time. And almost as a dare, I thought, you know what, I'll compile them and self-publish a book which anyone can do you know by the end of the day today and just uploading the pdf and i thought you know my friend will get a copy maybe my parents will buy a copy just to kind of you know say but man it spread like wildflowers and it just became this huge thing that i was then contacted by publishers saying we want to publish your book in multiple languages. And it ended up being this international bestseller that completely changed my life. And that's Buddhist bootcamp. It's just every chapter 
is an email or a letter that I sent to my friends over the course of eight years. I had no idea anyone else would, you know what I mean? I, I, I never sat down and said, I'm going to write a book. That never even occurred to me. And yet, what I tapped into, I think, is what many of us are looking for, which in short is a way out. Um, not towards something necessarily, but away from what makes us miserable. And I think that's, it's possible. It's just, we need to not just think outside the box, but get rid of the box altogether and just go, mm. okay, what, what are my core values and how can I live in line with them? Because Gandhi said, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are all in harmony. And I love that because the alternative is disharmony. If you're saying one thing and doing another, you're creating conflict within you. And when you're internally conflicted, you're going to live in conflict with everyone around you. So inner peace is not selfish. Self-care is not selfish. The opposite of self-care is not selfishness. It's self-neglect. So the intention is to bring your sense of integrity back. Not by. It's not about what you do. It's not about your job title. You can wash dishes in the back of a restaurant. But if you do it with integrity, you bring integrity to your title. Whereas I've seen heads of nonprofits or even priests at monasteries who can chant with the best of them, but they treat everyone around them like crap. And I'm just like, there's there's a gap, you know? I, I think that gap between impulse and response, that's mindfulness. Mindfulness is that space between your impulse to, to act and your actual response. And in that gap, I think if we just check in with ourselves and go, what do my values say about this? <laughs> and then you live in line with your values. It doesn't matter what you do. You're in alignment. You're in harmony. You're at peace, which I think is what we're all looking for. But we're looking for it in all the wrong places. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. And you've just packed so much. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to pull a little bit out, a, a few things out of there. There's so much in there. I want to go I want to go way back to when you decided to get out of the corporate mm. world because, I mean, I, I felt very much the same way for a long time. But I have to say, one of the things that you say in your book is most of our anger stems from our discomfort with uncertainty. And I think one of the reasons we don't take that step is because that uncertainty, like, what is the next step? I don't know what the next step is. Mm. So I'm just really curious how that wasn't really an, an issue for you. I wouldn't say it wasn't an issue. Okay. There was, it was terrifying, but not as terrifying as staying in that cubicle. Okay, okay. That's the difference. Is, okay. It's not like I had confidence and money in the savings account and I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I had no idea if I was going to be fine. But the uncertainty was better than what I knew was going to happen if I stayed. That became clear. Like if I don't get out, this is, this is my, my future. But if I do get out, anything can happen. And unlike most people who are terrified of uncertainty, I love it because I thrive. Like the only thing we know for certain, the only thing I know for certain, I'll speak for myself, is that I don't know anything for certain. That's why I never argue with anyone about anything. And I would argue that, gosh, COVID, did it not teach us that nothing is certain? <laughs> for sure. You know? Yeah, You know, and so and, and to some people to like, oh, I had all these plans, all these ideas. And in just one day, everything can just be. That's the beauty of it. It can all change in a moment. And I, I, I love that. It's it's like a movie that no one can tell you the ending of, you know, it's there. Anything can change. And I love that. It's so exciting to me because th stagnation scares me. 
more than uncertainty. Yeah. And maybe that's think, just me. I well, don't know. I think, one of, I think one of, you did kind of hit the nail on the head. I think at one point where you said it's really good to get clear on what you don't want. Don't want. Yeah. And I think I think that's really key because you were really clear on what you didn't want. You didn't want that cub- cubicle. You didn't want the fluorescent lights for 30 years. Don't blame you at all. And <laughs> and you saw the woman at the 30-year anniversary. I remember that. I worked for And an she was company. celebrating. That's yeah, why exactly. I, I don't want to. I don't want to mock anyone else's dream. But if they're like, "This is what I want," I'm like, "Go for it." You right, know? right. I, I but I, I remember when I I was working. I was working in in the oil an oil company, and a long time ago, as an engineer, I had coworkers who were hanging on for like another ten years because they got their retirement in ten years. It's like, wow, that's a long time to hang on to something that you absolutely like some but detest most. You know. Mm. Or maybe it's five years. Maybe it's just one more year. But the, that's a long time. To... And they keep doing that. They incentivize you. Oh, when you hit yeah. five years, you'll get this. When you hit 10 years, you know, you'll get sabbatical when you get this. And, and so they keep incentivized like that ever transparent dangling carrot that's just yes. like just out of reach. I'm like two weeks of vacation for a year's worth of stress. That's not balance. <laughs> and if you're trying to create balance in your life, it's not going to happen with that schedule. You know, right, and, and right. Yeah. yeah. So getting clear on what you don't want is really, really important. And then I think the next thing you talked about is getting clear on what you value, what is important mm. to you. And, and then, and because I don't think most people are. I, I no, think people... <laughs> I, I give talks all over the world and I talk about living in line with your values. And I had a woman stand up and go, I don't know what my values are. Can you give them to me? (laughs) And I'm like, no, no. But what I can do is ask you so many questions that by the time we're done, you'll be clear. You know, and that's the invitation. I don't ever have answers. The books, none of the books have a should statement in them. You know, it's about looking within and going, what's important to me? And am I living in my life in alignment with those values? Or am I ignoring my values? You know, it's, it's something as simple as, let's say someone is really... To them, one of the important values is to eliminate animal cruelty. And so when you're at the grocery store and you're trying to figure out which toothpaste to buy, something we all do, you can look and go, okay, well, this one's on sale. I'm going to buy this one. And I go, okay, well, then now you're saying your core value is scarcity. It's I don't have enough. That is my point of view. And I'm going to make decisions based on that. But if you're saying, can I find a toothpaste that isn't tested on animals? then your core values are making your decisions for you. And quite often, they're the same price. You know, Colgate does not test its products on animals. Crest does. And so you're like, in that one decision, you're making something and you feel good about your decision. You go home like, hey, I did the right thing. Not in a global right and wrong, but right meaning it's an alignment, alignment. With, mm-hmm. with me. No, mm-hmm. Someone else can get Crest because that's where they are. That's just it. Like, there's a story about my buddy Clyde I shared in the first book where you know, he lost his wife to type two diabetes and he's a single father now, two boys. And, you know, he's got 20 bucks and he's going to, he needs to make them dinner. And, and one thing he promised, he's like, I know I'm going to screw them up. You know, I, that's just inevitable. But what one thing I'm going to do right, because I saw what happened to their mother, I'm not going to take them out to fast food. No, no fast food. No, no process. Just I'm going to make them a home cooked meal every night. And so he goes to the grocery store and he gets some chicken breast, some broccoli, some rice, and he's standing in line to, you know, to, to pay for it. And behind him, there's, you know, someone else with a completely different life story, a completely different background, completely different tax bracket, you know, and their shopping cart is filled with 
with organic and locally sourced and all plant-based, you know, they can't look at his shopping cart and say, you're doing the wrong thing. He's doing the right thing and they're doing the right thing. And that's just, it's, it's, everything is subject to time, place, and circumstance. So again, the intention is to eliminate judgment and say, oh, you're working in the corporate world, you're doing it wrong. No, if that's your dream, if that's your goal, by all means, go all in. I'm just saying for me, it just was not right anymore. Mm-hmm. Five years prior, it was my dream. You know, it was mm-hmm, just like, mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. And our beliefs change, you know, from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, last night. And so I think our belief system, I call it BS, is like that junk drawer in the kitchen. I, I we've, we've accumulated opinions and viewpoints and judgments and all this stuff over the years and it's just sitting there and i think we need to open up that drawer and go is this still valid today my parents yeah. gave it to me but the, is it still applicable and if it's not throw it out there's no reason to hang on to old opinions and judgments and prejudices that don't serve you because if they don't serve you they're working against you and that's that cleansing that you know that the suffering that we create for ourselves it's it's not about victim blaming it's about empowering people going you're doing this. Stop it. <laughs> you know, you, you you could change direction. And and again, it may not be Hawaii. It may not be Montana. It may, it may just be showing up at work with a different attitude. You know, that's sometimes a huge difference. And I think we can all do that. It's just, you, you touched on it when you said uncertainty is what, what keeps people from taking that step. But I say it's all uncertain, all of it. Like mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. What, what we have is a false sense of security. And so going, this is an illusion. <laughs> this whole illusion that, you know, I they, they're not going to replace me at work. They wouldn't blink twice before they replace, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just, I don't know. It's this very liberating, like, hey, it, it, what's that song by Seal? In a world full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? And oh, so it's yeah, just this acknowledging, yeah. like, I have wings. I can use them. I'm scared to. Okay, I'm scared too, but do it anyway. And don't worry that other people may not be flying. You know, I no. think that's the thing. We say, well, you've got wings. You should fly. You know, we do that. No shoulds. We, no, yeah. there's no should in compassionate thinking at all. And, mm-hmm. and I live on a mm-hmm. ranch and we're surrounded by quail and they crack me up because they have wings. But boy, do they avoid flying until the very last minute when they're like, okay, fine, I'll fly. You know, and it cracks me up because that's how I feel about running. I will not run. Even if someone's chasing me, I'm like, take what you want. I'm not running. I refuse to do it. It's just too fast for me. But (laughs) yeah, it's let people do, let people live, let people climb the corporate ladder and let people quit their jobs and live on the beach. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And again, figuring out why is this important to me who told me that this is what success looks like that's the question and not even blame them because they just did the best they could you know and they tried to point you in the right direction and that may have been the the right direction for them but for us to not question it to not go is this still true for me today is a disservice for us yeah is this still true for me today i today I think that's really a great question to ask. And I think about, you know, so much of our beliefs, so much of what we value is inherited. It's inherited by our parents, our families, our culture, our education, all that. And I did all that too. I did all of that. I did the whole Mm -hmm. corporate thing. And then, and then I also did it. (laughs) 
husband and I kind of did it with our kids. And they were like, why did we do that? You know, <laughs> why did we do yeah. that? We tried to backpedal it. We would do it all differently now with what we know. And, yeah. and then you have to kind of release that and know that everyone will find their way, even though they've had all this conditioning, whether I was the conditionee or the conditioner, just kind of release it all and, and not beat ourselves up for it. Because I think we do that too. Which is also learned behavior. The yes. self-punishment. The, that's like where, what, uh, I think it was Michael Singer who talks about, you know, if, if that voice in your head that bullies you was your roommate sitting on the couch next to you talking to you the way you talk to yourself, yeah. how long before you kick out that roommate? Yeah. And yet you don't. You go to that roommate for advice. Really? That same one who called you all those names? And that's what we do. We we punish ourselves. We We belittle ourselves instead of just lifting ourselves up and being like our number one cheerleader we hold ourselves back so much but we don't have to because when you realize oh that's a learned behavior that's that voice in my head that's not even my voice that's either my mother's voice or my father's voice or society's voice or you know my boss's voice it, it just gets planted and that person can be long gone and you're still 30 years later trying to impress someone or not upset someone or whatever it is and it's that's why i say it's that junk drawer open it up and go, where did I pick this up? More importantly, why am I still carrying it? And it's just, it's so cleansing. I think it's the right word for it. It's very liberating because, you know, so much of what weighs us down is not even ours to carry. Mm -hmm. And it just makes this journey of life so much harder. And I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's, it's going to get easier. No, but the weight you carry will be intentional. You're like, yeah, this weighs me down, but you know what? It's worth it because to me, like I go backpacking a lot. And so the whole metaphor of climbing up a mountain, going through life. Yeah. And I love my sleeping bag. I love it. It's one of those wearable sleeping bags that actually is, goes around your arms and your legs and everything. So if you get up in the middle of the night and you have to go out the tent, you don't have to leave your, your sleeping bag. It comes with you because you're wearing it. It's fantastic, but it weighs a lot. It's not a backpacker's sleeping bag. And what I'm saying is any you know, professional backpacker or season would say that's a waste of weight. You know, like that, that weighs way too much. You need to get a lightweight backpack if you're going to go for six days up Mount Whitney. And I'm like, for me, it's worth the weight. I don't mind carrying it, you know? And so to look at what weighs us down and go, is, did I choose this? Or am I carrying someone else's burden, guilt, shame, all of this stuff? Life will be so much easier if we just drop that excess weight. So wherever you are, take off your backpack, lay everything out on the ground and go, how much of this do I really need to carry with me? And but, I also love that you, uh, but I also love that you, you're choosing to carry the extra weight. That's your intention. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you made that decision. You've got, you've got a value and that is how this sleeping bag creates being warm comfort at night, for you. Being warm 100% important to me. Yes. <laughs> that's more important than having an easy climb and a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think I think that's really important because it's different from just getting rid of all the weight. It's like yeah. putting it all out there in front of you and then choosing what what baggage do I baggage may yes. not be the right. No, 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 we all have baggage. Yeah, it's okay. just it. It's like how much okay. of it is, is worth my Yeah, because I'm not suggesting that oh, there's an easy life without baggage, without concerns, without worries, without No, we've we've all got all that. But it be intentional about which ones you carry with you. Don't tell, yeah. don't let someone else tell you, oh, you shouldn't care that. Don't shit on me. You know, yeah. that's just, yeah. yeah. So I. Don't tell me but, what's in my junk drawer. 
you decide. That's why I'm not going to open up someone else's junk drawer. Well, that's be- that belief system is, you know, a waste of energy. No, like there's a reason they're hanging on to it. And I, I love the quote of everything I've ever let go of had claw marks in it, you know, because we tend to cling to things so tightly and for a reason. And so to figure out, you know, if you throw it away without figuring out why you're hanging on to it, it's you could be throwing it prematurely and then the guilt and the shame and the self-punishment will follow because you're like, I shouldn't have thrown that away. And then you're mm-hmm. shooting on yourself. And it's just why? Why am I carrying this? And when you realize I don't need to anymore, no one's going to try to force it out of your hand. You're going to you'll pay someone to take it from me. <laughs> you know, you just take it. It's, it it means more to me out of my life than it means in my life. And mm-hmm. it's just, and again, I'm not talking about tangible things, although sometimes it is. Being a minimalist and moving around so much has really shown me the parallels between the stuff we carry in real life, the tangible stuff, the linen closet with 20 different pairs of sheets and the, the cupboard with, you know, so many different cups and all, more than we'll ever need. But the, this accumulation mentality, the way it works with tangible stuff, the, the 10 bottles of shampoo and the is the same with our beliefs, our opinions, our judgments, our prejudices. If if we cling to tangible stuff, we also cling to the non-tangible. And so they are related. So clearing out our cupboards, clearing out our minds, clearing out our lives, clearing out our car. Oh, it just feels so good. I, I, I'm beaming because it just reminds me of just how good it feels to be a minimalist by choice, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, um, I love that analogy of the junk drawer. Um, I think I'd like to pivot a little bit to a conversation on the equanimity because I think so many of us suffer because we want to create a better world. You know, we want we want to fix this world and we have certain belief systems that guide us that way. It may be about we want peace on earth. It may be about, you know, we want all children to be free. We want animals to be free. We want everyone to be creative, whatever it is, people have a vision. And I think that I love the gift of imagination because it allows us to kind of create in our mind, but it can also imprison us because mm-hmm. we we imagine some future state that we obviously prefer. We would like to have that painting in front of us. And then, and then we looked at the rest of the world. It doesn't look like that. We're just so frustrated. We keep going back to our painting and saying, this is what we want. And then, you know, we protest or we do whatever it is, write our Congress, whatever it is. But so many people are wanting to create a more beautiful world, but they're actually in anguish about it, yeah, the, the, the progress. And so I kind of like to talk about that because I think that's before a lot of people right now. Yeah, I see, I see it a lot. I actually gave a talk one time and I pulled out these massive blown up pictures of people and all of their facial expressions were in full on anger, screaming, you know, yelling. You know, and just one picture after another. And it's just it shows nothing but rage and hurt and anger and all this stuff. And I said, do you know who what these pictures are, are of? And they're all pictures of peace activists. <laughs> and there was nothing peaceful about them. Yeah. So and that was just kind of like to prove the point, kind of like when I speak at churches, I always go, how many of you believe in God? And they all raise their hand. And then I go, and how many of you worry? And they all raise their hand. And I go, you realize you can't do both. Like you realize the moment you worry, you dropped your faith in God. Right. And the moment you go back to your faith, the worry goes away. You can't do both. And so I think you're absolutely right. People have a vision of what is a better world, but they're missing that part of the sentence where at the end they say, according to me, Mm. it's a better world, according to me. 
and we think that we are right <laughs> and all these other people are wrong. And that's why, again, the first principle in Buddhist boot camp is the opposite of what you know is also true to somebody else, somewhere else because of their time, place and circumstance. Just like my friend Clyde at the grocery store. You know, the woman behind him can go, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're buying the wrong thing, don't you know? But he's doing the right thing and she's doing the right thing. And that's a beautiful world in my eyes, is that we're not pushing our views on someone else, that we acknowledge that one man's freedom fighter is someone else's terrorist, you know? But we, but if we refuse to step out our own viewpoint and, and, and try to see it from someone else's perspective, you know, when you hate the hater, you're a hater, but you feel your hatred is justified. It's just mm -hmm. so that, and that's the opposite of namaste. That's the, can you just get in touch with the ego within you and go, oh yeah, I've got an ego within you. I think I'm right and they're wrong, but they think they're right and I'm wrong. Could we both be wrong? Could we both be right? So I do believe, doesn't matter what room you put me in, I'm gonna look around, I'm gonna say many of us in this room, wherever I am, have shared values. We do. But we're, they're not prioritized the same way. So someone in the room, that to, to them, what's most important is saving the elephants. To someone else, it's human rights. To someone else, it's women's rights. To someone else, it's gay rights. To someone else, it's, you know, what? great. Do your thing. But don't expect me to care about what you care about as much as you care about it. Like, you, I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. And, and the wheels of the bus go round and round. But to look at someone else's shopping cart and tell them what to and not to buy, what they should and shouldn't do, what, we don't know anything about them. Where they currently are could be a huge improvement from where they've been. What I think drives most of the frustration you're talking about is the sense of urgency that we feel that they, everyone needs to change now. It's like easy, tiger, right? Like, our lifetime is the blink of an eye. Humans have been on this earth for such a short period of time. So for us to look at the world through a keyhole and pretend to know what's best is egotistical at the, at the very least. To, to claim that we know through this tiny little, you know, eye of a needle that we're looking at the, to, with this narrow view, to, 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 like zoom out, look at the big picture. We have no idea. My mother grew up when the science and doctors discovered, ooh, eggs have a lot of protein in them. So she was not allowed to leave the house to go to school without a raw egg in her hand. And they would just poke a hole in it and, and suck it out on the way to school. And that was daily breakfast because science said so. And they discovered it. And years later, they're like, hold up a minute. We need to cook it first. <laughs> and then later, they're like, hold up a minute. The whites are good for you. The, the you, you know. And so that it's like, just ease up on thinking you have all the answers today. We don't. And what we think is a problem ends up being a solution. What we think is a solution can create a problem. I used to work for a nonprofit organization and we showed up at American Samoa after they were hit with a tsunami that damaged their, their water um, treatment plant. So the island didn't have drinking water. So all these other nonprofit organizations showed up from all over the world and dumped, I think it was 5 million bottles of drinking water and then took off which is great but it was short-sighted because what they didn't do is tell people to separate their plastic from their trash what they didn't do is make any plants to come back and pick up the plastic bottles so we showed up all these years later their their landfill was a year away from capacity mm -hmm. and it was all filled with 
plastic water bottles that are empty with the cap back on them. So when we went to the landfill, it was like a bouncy house. So, you know what I mean? Like, so it was great that they brought them drinking water, but they, by, by solving one problem, they created another, yeah. you know, and yeah. it was just this. So did they do the wrong thing? Did the, it was, we're all short-sighted. That's what I'm getting at is we don't have all the answers. So stop acting like you do. <laughs> That's it. It's just well, I do think, what you, you think know, is best right now and, and just let go of the outcome. Is that fair to say? I think it is. I, I do think that people use what science says. And I think what you pointed out about the egg is really interesting. Because I think that a lot of people believe that science is this settled thing and science says this. And so therefore, you know, we have X number of years. That is concrete is and it's not going to change. Yeah. Right. And that what's it based on? And, and science is changing all the time. We, we see that with biology. We see that with food and diets. <laughs> yeah. And what goes around comes around. But I do think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who are afraid of, you know, the destruction of the planet. They're afraid of the destruction of humanity. They're afraid of the destruction of species. And, and so and that's for good reason. I mean, 60 years ago, we only had 2 billion people on this planet. And now we've got eight. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. And whatever systems we put in place those years ago to, to accommodate 2 billion people, that's not sustainable for eight. So we've got a problem and things are shifting and no one can think fast enough to, but how do we solve this? <laughs> and you're right. Fear drives a lot of people to to their actions and, and whatnot. And just recognizing that and just saying, hold on, you know, is it is it is it destructive? You know, I, I lived in Hawaii. I've been to Iceland watching, you know, the volcanoes erupt. And yeah, we look at it and go, it's d- destroyed all these homes. I'm like, it's creating land. So it's destructive and constructive at the same time. It's our attachment to our opinions of what we think is valuable that makes the judgment. But if you just step back and you just go, this is beautiful. You know what I mean? Like this just, we're watching earth land being formed that didn't exist 10 minutes ago. And now it can walk on it. It's just mind blowing. And it doesn't dismiss the fact that, yeah, it may have destroyed someone's home. But it also creates, you know what I mean? Like There's just this yeah. constant creation, formation, evolution that we're overlooking because we're attached to how things are and we don't want them to change. It's like, it's going to change <laughs> whether you like it or not. It's this resistance. So the, that equation of pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. The full equation is pain plus resistance equals suffering. Mm-hmm. It's the resistance. It's the white knuckling that causes our suffering. So mm-hmm. yes, by all means, have your values. Recycle. Do what you can to get the Colgate instead of the Crest, but never with this idea that because you made that decision, you're going to save the planet. Y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it, you mm-hmm. did it because it was the right thing to do with your values today. And tomorrow you may learn something new and make a different decision. But with what we have now and with science constantly changing, we can't say this is concrete. Eat your raw eggs. It's like easy, tiger. This may change. Just lose. I'm not saying let go because I'm not suggesting we just completely give up. I'm saying loosen the grip. Yeah. Just yeah. Lose, allow space for possibility, if that makes sense. I think it does. I mean, I've referred to it as, you know, clenched palms, you know, clenched fists versus open palms. So uh, yep. if you're in action, are you acting like this or are you, because we want to be in action. You know, we don't want yes. to sit and watch whatever we, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to sit and watch our neighbor abuse their child, you know, and, and not take action. But are we doing it like this? Or are we, you know, mm-hmm. opening our palms? And yeah. 
and it's two different ways of, of, of approaching it. Of being I think, in the world. We're still there watching that happen, but how we respond dictates our experience. Yes. So yes. I always say, if changing the world is your fight, it will leave you exhausted. But if changing the world is just your way of life, it'll be effortless. You're just oh. going to go to lunch and you're going to look at the menu and you're going to decide, my values are to do less harm. So I'm just going to choose off the menu what is least harmful to the planet, to animals, to my own health. And I'm going to make that decision. And when I go to bed at night, I'm going to look at my day and go, did I cause less harm than I would have if I had made other decisions? And if your answer is yes, you will sleep peacefully through the night. But if you go to the restaurant and go, how dare they serve this? And you're, you're white. Again, the white fist, like this shouldn't be happening. You're creating so much of your own anguish. It's, it's futile, really. Just be being at peace, even educating others. Who's your audience? Did they ask? <laughs> or are you just pushing <laughs> your views on someone else? Because mm -hmm. my teacher used to tell me, Timber, you can't give by throwing. You know, and so many people try to do that. And, and nonviolent communication says, calls it out. They say unsolicited advice is a form of violence. It's bullying. If someone didn't ask, think about it. If someone showed up at your door right now, knocked on there and tried to push something down your throat that you didn't ask, you'd be like, please leave. You it know, I'm like, I didn't, I'm sure it does. But if you're saying, hey, solicitors welcome and they show up, that's a very different experience. And they're like, come in, sit down. Let's, have, let's talk about this over a mm -hmm. cup of tea. But know your audience, you know? And so figuring out what is causing me my anguish? Is it the fact that my neighbor is doing this or that I have a problem with it? And if I have a problem with it because it's illegal or whatever, is there a method already in place for me to take to let someone else handle it because that's their job? Or am I going to try to take matters into my own hands? You know, it's just, there's a fine line of going, again, between this and this. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's because when you're at peace, people will want to hear what you have to say. But when yeah, you're, I think you're enraged, right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're going to gather the other enraged people, but that's not going to move the dial. And um, that is a very strong, cohesive tool, meaning giving a group of people a common enemy is mm -hmm. very cohesive. It creates a lot of, oh, it's us versus them. And that's going back to the opposite of namaste. There is no us and them. We've all made mistakes. We've all contributed. We're all part of the over 8 billion people on this. We're part of the problem is what I'm saying. So don't look at, well, you're a bigger problem than I am. Easy, tiger. <laughs> Someone else can look at you and your decisions and start judging them. So just don't, again, it's biblical. Don't judge. <laughs> just It's not your job. Yeah. Let me ask you a question because <clears throat> my little inner voice has has been upset with me over something that happened many years ago where I didn't intervene, okay? Mm. So I was on a walk. I was in my 20s. I was on a walk, and there was, on this walk, you know, down by this bayou, I was in Texas, there was a man who was beating his dog. Mm. And I didn't do anything about it because I didn't know what I could do. And I'm thinking, I should have done something. And there are a few things like that in my life. So Sorry, I, I didn't mean to laugh. I'm like, in Texas, he would have pulled out a gun and shot you. Well, <laughs> so I, like, I'm, I'm telling if, you, my mind goes through those kinds of things. I have another one on a subway in Chicago where I didn't intervene. I'm thinking, um, I'm, my daughter could have lost her life. I mean, I don't know what yeah. could have happened there. So I, the reasons I don't intervene, but it seemed like, you know, again, the, the voice in my head that I keep inviting in. 
for advice. Tells so you that you should have, could have, would have. I should have, I could have, I could have helped that dog. And so I, there's things like that, I think, where people feel like I should act. So I'm just kind of curious, when is it appropriate to act when something wrong is mm. happening before you? Wrong according to you. Yeah, wrong Again, according I to me, but really I also, I get that. Yeah. But I, I also think, now, you can correct me on this or you can disagree with me, but, but I, I do think that there is a universal law that to, to do less harm. I know it may not be, I know it may not be the value, but mm -hmm. that's why we have like, don't kill, you know, that what, we have laws about killing and taking lives and things like that. So, it was just last month or last week, I believe, that Korea passed the law of no longer selling dog meat. Yes, it was last just week. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? It was yeah, just recently. Right, so right. What, your puppy is someone else's lunch. Can you be at peace with that? Or does that enrage you? Because they don't look at the world the way you look at the world. Yeah, well, I'm That's... not enraged. I'm just glad my dog is over here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you do. It's one less dog on someone's plate. But and but that... I do. Yeah. But I do support. I would support organizations that are trying to free the dogs in Korea. I've done that before. I'm and just then thinking... let go and say that may happen. It may not. It may continue. It may be right. tradition. It may be there. But I can support. But then I can let go of the outcome. Yeah. To go back to your question on when is it okay to intervene. It's a very tough question because there's no silver bullet answer that is true at all. Everything is subject to time, place, and circumstance. And you gauge, you know, you get to figure out your audience. Is this my place? Was I asked? Is what I'm saying true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me? There's all these questions of what is the best way I can be of service right now, you know? And there is no one answer to all mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Should someone have intervened when I was growing up and was abused by my parents if they had would i be doing the work that i'm doing today of people in recovery and helping people in prison and you know going through and helping so many people cha challenged by with ptsd and figuring out solutions or am i doing this because of my history mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so can i'm not saying i wish more people would be uh, you know abused so they can grow up to you know, no but that that old saying of nothing happens to you it all happens for you mm -hmm. and so that happened for me to be where i am right now and i don't even blame my parents you know uh they they did the best they could with what they had the problem was i expected something out of them they didn't have to give i kept going to an orange looking for apple juice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the moment i did that i set them up for failure and i set myself up for disappointment and that created so much of our anguish, so much of our friction, because I kept thinking they should be different than how they are. Mm -hmm. This is not how a mother should treat their child. According to whom? According to me, conveniently enough. You know, so so just removing this ego out of it and go, this is this is what happened. What what do I do with what happened? And so you can watch that and go, you know what? I witnessed someone abuse their dog. I have a dog. This is just reaffirming for me that no matter what, I never want to do that to my dog. Like, this is just, it's like my parents taught me how not to be, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. they're still teachers. <laughs> that's just it. <laughs> Whether they teach you how to be or how not to be, if you honor them as teachers, that's great. So that person in Texas on the trail, that's a teacher. I was on a trail the other day hiking and someone went by and they had a dog off leash in, in a park where it, it had leash laws. And someone went jogging. Didn't, the dog off leash did not bother me at all. I that 
personally, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't offend me or personally. Now, someone was jogging and apparently it bothered them. And as they jogged past, you should put your dog on a leash. And there's just, and what was interesting to me was that they felt it was their place to tell people what they should and shouldn't do. Like uh-huh. that's, that surprised me more than the person who didn't have their dog on the leash. Like who put you in charge? Like <laughs> if that was a park ranger, by all means, Hey, we have a leash law. You need to put your dog on the leash. Great. Thank you. Put the dog on the leash. But if not, if it's, that's not your, I don't know. There's just that surprised me. Like here's this person enjoying their run. And yeah, maybe they were bitten by a dog. Maybe they're terrified of dogs. There's a gazillion different scenarios. But let's say me, who doesn't have a problem with it, do I go up to the person who has their dog off leash and tell them what they should and shouldn't do? Or do I just observe? I don't have an answer. Yeah. Right, <laughs> Sorry right, to right. disappoint. No. I'm just saying, in that situation, what is the best thing for me to do? I, I There's a podcast episode I shared about being pulling up at a, a gas station and needing to put fuel in my car. And there's a long line of cars. And we're all just waiting and one car leaves and another car pulls up. And by the time I got to the pump, I'm there and I look over at the pump next to mine. And this guy is just sitting in his car talking on his phone. He doesn't even have the nozzle in his gas tank. He's not filling up nothing. There's a long line of cars behind him. And I'm sitting there going, like thinking, you know, do I tap on his window? Do I tell him, hey, there's a parking spot directly in front of you, 20 feet. Just pull your car up so other people can... And like, wait, what are you doing? Trying to direct traffic? Who put you in charge? That's right. You're not in charge. There's a gas station attendant. Why don't you go in there and tell... Really? You're going to go in there and tell someone how to do their job? Like, this whole ego just took over of like, here I am trying to direct... Just... I stopped it after a couple of gallons, got in my car, drove away, and that... And was that the right thing to do? I still don't know. Uh It was the right thing for me to do at that time to just get what I need, move out of the way. But what I did learn from it is that next time I'm at a gas station and I'm done filling up gas or whatever, or I need to run in and get some pretzels, whatever it is, I'm not going to park my car at the pump. I'm going to move my car away. So that was my lesson to just, because I realized, again, the ego in me sees it. I've done what this guy's done before, Mm -hmm. but I don't know who he's on the phone with. He may have just gotten a call that his dog died or Mm -hmm. someone, you know, or he may be the guy there who was hired to fix the pump and he's just on the phone with his boss trying to figure out the pump is broken. How do I fix? We don't know. So to make any assumption that we're doing the right thing because we're eating a raw egg on the way to work every day, which brings you back to we're short-sighted. We're looking at the world through this little lens. And I don't know, maybe our destruction is the best thing for the planet. So do you stop our destruction? I'm not saying you condone it. You don't, you know what I mean? You just, you do the right thing. You drive your Hummer. I'll drive my hybrid and we can get along just fine. But the moment I tell you what you should do is when I create friction. We say we want peace, but we create so much of the war that we complain about. Yeah. That's, we cover our own eyes and then cry that it's dark. And it's just like, dude, how much of this is your own doing? So if you want peace in the world, start by being peaceful with your own family members, with your neighbors, with yourself. 
Start there. There's plenty there. Anyone you talk to would be like, oh yeah, there's that voice that bullies me. And all. Start there. Quiet that voice. Be at peace with yourself before you start telling other nations how to live at peace with one another. <laughs> like you can't even get along with your cousin. Start there. <laughs> then, you know what I mean? Like You can't get along with the Hummer driver. <laughs> right? Seriously. It's just, it's or the restaurant or the, the dog owner. It's like he's doing the best he can. There's a chapter. This is where I'm going to lose a lot of people. I get it. There's a chapter in my first book in Buddhist boot camp called Repentance. And in it, I list all the horrible things that I've done in my life. Just just come clean. Just blah. Here it is. I'm not proud of any of it. I didn't know then what I know now. But I have done these things. And when HarperCollins picked up the book and they republished it in hardcover, multiple languages, all the stuff, they gave me the manuscript to review. And I noticed just by counting chapters that one was missing. And so he took going, sorting through it and realized they took out the repentance chapter. And I said, why did you do that? That's such a powerful chapter. And they go, yeah, but it paints you in a bad light. Mm -hmm. But it's part of my story. Don't mm -hmm. edit out that part of my story. Mm -hmm. So they put it in. And I've heard from so many people that that is the most part, that that was, mm -hmm. they were in tears and not got them to write their own repentance list of the things that they've done. But I've also heard from people and seen reviews online just drilling into me what a horrible person I am. And they couldn't get past that chapter mm -hmm. because I had admitted to doing some horrible things. I think that I've had people on this podcast that admit to doing horrible things. And I'm always so... I mean, it almost brings me to tears because how many people are so rawly authentic, you know, like, like I've got this great story, but I could gloss over that part. I mean, like some horrible things. But when they say I did these horrible things, I'm like, it's amazing to me that somebody can come forward publicly and say that. And I think it really gives us a lot of hope for ourselves to be able to come clean ourselves because... That, that's the work we need to do to not say, well, you know, this, I'm a good person, all this, I'm a good person, you know, and keep all that other stuff down. I, I think it's editing an, history. You can't edit. It happens. Yeah, and yeah. I think the more we acknowledge it, the less likely we are to repeat it. But yeah. if we don't acknowledge that we did it, we're more likely to keep doing it. Right. And to be able to see somebody who's willing to share, here I am, you know, all of vulnerable, me. raw, honest, I am, and you know, here yeah. I am. It's so rare. I mm. really think it shifts consciousness a lot for people. 100%. It's so important. And so I, I'm gonna get the book and read that chapter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough one. And and yeah, you know, I think it was Kurt Cobain who said, I would rather be hated for who I am than loved oh. for who I'm not. Mm. And that's and I love that because it's just this is me, the good, the bad, and the horrific. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing this for the likes. I'm not doing it to win you over. I'm mm -hmm. doing it because this is part of the human experience. And unless we can be honest about our own shortcomings, we are in no position to even come close to pointing out someone else. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I just don't believe in hierarchy and holier than thou. And my own teacher said, you know, there are no enlightened beings. There's only enlightened activity. So the people that we look at and we perceive as enlightened, whether it be Jesus or the Buddha or the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa or your Aunt Betty, doesn't matter. Someone, he's like, there are no enlightened beings. They just, these are people who just made enlightened activity part of their daily lives. 
Mm. And I'm like, well, shoot, I can do that. You know, and what is in line activity? Activity that's in line with your values. If you live in line with your values and for you, it's perfectly okay to eat a dog, then you're not doing anything wrong because according to your values, you're in alignment. It's like, I know this is controversial, but like... It is. Nobody nobody is upset with Walmart for not being altruistic because Walmart never claimed to be altruistic. They said, we're going to sell you the cheapest stuff possible at the lowest cost possible at, at a truly any cost. It doesn't matter. And, and that's exactly what they're doing. So we're like, all right, fair enough. You do it. And then we have the choice to either shop there or not. But if a store or a person claims to be one thing, an animal rights activist yeah, yeah. is wearing a leather jacket, then we go, wait a minute. You know, you said one thing and you did another. That's where the problem is. Nothing wrong with wearing a leather jacket, but don't wear that and say this. Then you're creating, do you see what I'm saying? I completely so, do. I've, I've said this many times. I mean, I live in the country and I have less problem with my neighbors who are hunters and farmers because they are what they, they're not they trying it. to be. They're like, they own yeah, it. They're not, they're not they pretending to be anything else. Yep. Exactly. Then the people who are kind of holier than thou and all about love and all about compassion and, you know, and, and they do know about the horrors and the factory farms and all of that, but mm -hmm. they're still, you know, eating, eating the meat. And I'm not trying to judge them as much as I'm just but trying to compare. But there's incongruence. They're, You're yeah, like, mm. it's the incongruence, right? It's exactly. the, you are who you are and I know who you are. You say you're one, but you're acting yeah. in another way. And the invitation is to look at ourselves and go, yes. where's their incongruence in me? Exactly. Not, not in your neighbor, not in those right. people who right. say one thing and do another, but in me, because that which upsets us about other people is usually that which we don't like about ourselves. Right, right. So when right. you witness incongruency- It's in showing others, me, and, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, maybe there's something in me that I yeah. say one thing and I don't. And how can I bring that into alignment so I can be at peace in the world? Yeah, I got to go back and look at my junk drawer. <laughs> yeah, yep. And people say they're trying to find peace. It's it's not lost like loose change between the couch cushions. It's not yeah. something you just find one day. It's something we create. And that's what I love about mindfulness. It's the pause between impulse and response. And if I'm if I want to be a peaceful person, what is the peaceful way to respond right now? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. But if you're not committed to being peaceful, you're not going to ask yourself that question. You don't care. You're not invested in peacefulness. You want your you, maybe someone is more invested in being right. And you know who knows okay. what was going on through that person's head on the trail, and they were beating their dog. Who knows what was going on within them? I'm not saying it's justified, but there's a reason. And the reason maybe they don't think that what they're doing is wrong. Just like I didn't think it was wrong to do so many of the things that I did when I was younger. I was proud of those things. I took pictures of them, you know, I because I didn't know at the time. And you can't blame someone for not knowing. Like you can't, you're not angry at a five-year-old for being five. You're not angry at a puppy for being a puppy, right? And yeah. so- I think this is a real challenge for people, and and we've got to end our conversation, unfortunately, because we've we've gone over an hour. I, I think we could talk oh, for um, hours. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I definitely want to have you back. I think there's so much here, and I think that we will stir it up a lot in people. <laughs> I'm sure, and I and I apologize again if if you know my intention is never to necessarily go in and do that to intentionally stir people. It's to hold up a mirror. That's really, it's just to go and, and look, you, you're you not perfect either. I'm not perfect. I'm very okay with that. But some people are not ready to look at a mirror. And so when they get stirred up, I'm like, good. You know, like that's, yeah. that's pointing out to you where you're still clinging and 
where you might benefit from loosening the grip, not letting go, telling someone to let go if they're clinging is like telling someone who's really stressed out to relax. <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to help. And so loosening the grip, I think, is a really healthy way because we can all afford to loosen our grip a little bit. Right. So uh, I apologize for going over. I, this is just no, I'm no, really passionate no. about this stuff. And it's no, fun. I, like I said, we could go, we could keep talking. There's so much. But I, I think the listener has only so much time. Yes. So, so much of it. And there's ability. the books, you know, they can get more out of the exactly. books. They can get more right. from the podcast and there's the, the information is out there and they can take it in bite size when they're ready right. and not be so overwhelmed. That's right. it. That's and I'll I add say. links to your books, your podcast and all that. And I will have you back because thank you. I've got so many more things to talk about. So thank you so <laughs> thank much, Temper. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Thank you. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.